Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Heat Treat Bootcamp. Find out how to enroll in this basic training at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. And welcome to Heat Treat Radio, a podcast from Heat Treat Today. Whether you're listening to us or tuning in via video on heattreattoday.com forward slash radio, we're glad to have you. If you're looking for tips on solving overtemp or water flow alarm issues in your vacuum furnace, this interview with Seco Vacuums, Don Martini, and Caleb Johnson will provide this and more. Host Doug Glenn, the publisher of Heat Treat Today, will also be asking them some rapid fire round questions in the second half of the interview. Stay tuned. On your screen is Don Martini. Don is uh, from Seco Vacuum Technologies and is the VP of Engineering. Uh, Don's got a lot of experience in this industry, uh, so he, his input will be valuable. And also on the screen is Caleb Johnson, who is the field service manager, also for Seco Vacuum Technology. So, gentlemen, thanks a lot. Appreciate you joining us. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Doug. It's a pleasure. Yeah, great. We're just going to jump right in. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to ask ask questions, and and uh, you guys can go back and forth, decide who wants to answer these. I won't call on any of you specifically. You can just decide. But we're talking about vacuum furnace, top vacuum furnace maintenance concerns, all right? Typically, if anything, probably the most uh, dire one is, dang it, I can't get this doggone vacuum furnace down to the vacuum levels that I want. Where do we go? What do we do? Yeah, so that's probably one of the more critical ones on a vacuum furnace because there's a lot of issues that would stem off that. But I'd say one of the first checks I would ask, look at is the vacuum gauge itself. You know, is the trending look okay? Do we think the gauge is still functioning properly? What's your scaling look like? Um, and because, because those uh, are electronic items, they do have a life on them. So that, it's an easy one to rule out right off the bat. Uh, the next one would be your vacuum pumps. Are they functioning okay? You know, has oil been changed recently? Is oil okay? Is the pump still working good? You know, just going through some of the basic checks like that and see, you know, is functionality wise, are we good with everything? Mm -hmm. Is it typical that the vacuum gauge will fail slowly over time? I mean, can you see a degradation of it over time so it starts getting off? off target or is it just kind of like well this thing just is boom gone on our furnaces they usually fail high so it'll just say it's at atmosphere even though you're under vacuum but also the low level on the vacuum gauge will start it won't reach as good a vacuum you know so maybe the furnace is there but the gauge doesn't register that and so the gauge itself just starts drifting so yeah either either way or both common okay all right, so valve, or they get the gauge first and then the pump. Was there anything else? Um, yeah, for the pump, I think you could look at the amp draw on it, make sure the motor's still functioning properly. Uh, that's a big one. Okay, yep. Don, you were going to jump in? Yeah, I was going to say one other thing that I've seen commonly too is, uh, you know, if a customer is running a process that may, you know, in some way uh, present some contamination to the furnace, say, uh, usually one of the questions that I ask after those is how long has it been since you did la uh, a cleaning cycle, right? You know, by, by that, I mean, you know, about a hundred degrees over the process temperature for eight, eight hours, just to basically bake everything out of the insulation, right? Or moreover, was the furnace open over the weekend? And, you know, did somebody accidentally leave it open, got thinking, didn't pump it back down and there's moisture, 
okay, I would expect the first run there to be problems reaching back in, right? Um, we've got to, you know, and there's an easy, easy answer to that. Yeah, you might not get through the production that day, but, you, you know, you've got to put it through a, a clean cleaning cycle first. Let it run overnight and start back in the morning and see where we are. And furthermore, that can also apply to the gauge. You know, as we were talking, sometimes it's not necessarily the gauge has failed, but there is some some contamination. Uh, you know, there are ways uh, to prevent that, like the installation of a, what we call a clarifier, which is basically a, a tube, a copper tube that allows anything to, to, that might be in the environment to condense before it reaches the vacuum gauge. Uh, you, you know, there are, are several remedies for these common issues, but, uh, you know, we have to go through the list, basically, when, it, when this comes up. Right. And I'd, I'd say, too, that cleaning cycle then gives us a baseline because all our vacuum leak checks are specified in a clean, dry, empty furnace. So after a burnout, you try and get rid of all that contamination. Door hasn't been opened yet. That's the best time to do a leak up check and say, is any air getting into the furnace? You know, so a lot of times you'll also see on your load, if you have discoloration, even in the furnace itself, you know, if you're getting air or moisture in there, you're gonna get some blue or green colors that kind of allude to that. Now, if the load's off gassing, maybe that's a common color that you're getting. Right. But specifically, if you're if you're getting air in the furnace, you may see the discoloration. The leak check would show that. A lot of times we're specified at 10 microns an hour. Now, over time, the furnaces might not meet that spec. And as you get further and further from that spec, then it's time to come back and do a helium leak check. Um, sometimes they're called using a mass spectrometer, we call it a leak detector, but right. that's a surefire way to find out exactly where any air might be getting into the furnace. Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of my next question on this, just before we get off of the, the, the topic of not being able to reach the vacuum level, let's say it's not the gauge, let's say it's not the pump, then what are the, are there common areas? I mean, the one that jumps to my mind is, did you check the door seal, right? Is the I mean that's what what else or is is that valid first off door seals and are there other places that we can be checking right off if in fact we're failing the leak up test right what are the most common places where we're going to see a failure to hit the vacuum levels yeah door seals obviously the the number one issue because that's constantly open and closed um, it might dry out needs to be constantly clean and greased maybe dirt falls down in there. Um, so yeah, that's definitely one, but also, you know, the furnace is going through heating cycles. So stuff like the power feed throughs, um, they'll, they'll get hot. And so as they expand with the heat and they contract with the cold, then it creates a potential for a leak because those seals are constantly shifting a little bit. So really any penetration that goes from outside the furnace into it is a potential yeah. for a leak. But looking at what's going to see the heat, what's going to move a little bit, and like the door seal, what's been opened, or even if maintenance was done and some, you know, a valve was replaced or a seal was touched, that's usually yeah. the first thing to go for. Yeah, yeah that, that, was, uh, that was the other point I was going to mention is the other, obviously, and this is common sense, but, you know, sometimes it's good to mention common sense. If something was replaced in the furnace, especially anything that penetrates the, the shell, that would probably be, and if you weren't having troubles before that, obviously you want to go check that mm -hmm. stuff out. So that's good. Well, okay, good. Anything, yeah, Don, go ahead. Yeah, further to that point, you know, we've come up 
across a couple times too, where a valve was replaced, and and that valve was uh, you know say on the gas line, the incoming gas line, say nitrogen or argon, and all of a sudden we have a leak, but we can't find it. We've leak checked the entire furnace multiple times, still can't find a leak. Well, the next place to look, and it, it seems illogical, but the, the next place to look is that valve, right? Because that did change, and maybe we're okay. There's no outward uh, appearance of any oxidation, but you know, lo and behold, there's some nitrogen or argon leaking into the furnace through a valve valve seat that we didn't expect. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen, and it, that one is especially frustrating to find because it's the last place you'll ever look. So something yeah. to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, good point. But let's say you got a water flow alarm. What's the first thing? What are we looking for? Yeah, I'll jump in on that one, Doug. So first to your point, it's not just a cobalt furnace because certainly there are, you know, atmosphere style furnaces out there that have water cooled uh, flanges uh, that, that do require some, some water cooling. Um, in any case, Many of those passages that feed those, those flanges or like we talked about, the power feed-throughs are very small. And, you know, all of a sudden you look down and say, oh, there's an alarm on one of the power feed-throughs. It's not getting enough water. The temperature is too high. Okay, chances are good that there could have been some contamination that was somewhere in the system that's now blocking one of those, those small holes. And I'm talking, you know, a half inch, maybe something to that effect or a quarter inch hole. Uh, and, we're, and we just don't have the flow that's expected. Uh, so, you know, the, the natural first step is how long has it been since you, uh, you know, cleaned the system? How long has it been since the system has been flushed? And, you know, it, it's, again, something you don't typically think of, don't do that often. Uh, but it, if for some reason there has been some exposure to air in the system or there, uh, so the exposure to air will develop uh, typically promote the growth of bacteria, which can cause issues in the system. Or, uh, you know, just from natural deterioration, a lot of those systems are steel pipe and they develop some scale and that scale goes somewhere. And the first place you'll see it is on the small passages because it blocks the passage. Uh, so there are some, there are a couple at least that I'm aware of, uh, biodegradable uh, descalers available out there on the market. So, you know, if you've got glycol, that glycol can be uh, pumped out of the system, screened, uh, filtered, and put back in. And at the same time, you can you can purchase this scaler, which typically can be mixed with city water, and uh, you flush the system, basically. And you know, after maybe one or two flushes, you can be fairly confident you've removed a lot of that that scale, and you know, reintroduce the glycol if you need to, or reintroduce the the water coolant. Important thing is that when you do that you know, you, you replace the rust inhibitor or, or, you know, any other chemical treatments that you, you think are necessary or that you've been told are necessary from the, the equipment manufacturer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the, on this water cooling system, I'm curious what, what percent, this is maybe just a, you might not know the answer to this, but that's okay. What percentage of vacuum furnaces out there have closed loop uh, cooling systems, as opposed to somebody just running city water through through uh, furnace for cooling. Any any sense of that? I think the majority of our customers do have closed loop, but it also depends on how much equipment they're cooling. Because if it's a single furnace, the best scenario is usually just a closed loop small system. But when you have multiple furnaces in a room, and then you're on a much larger system, it takes more cooling power. 
and it may not be city water they're running through, but it might be an open loop system or, you know, just multifaceted there with their yeah. stations. So, yeah, I mean, I've heard that I've heard that it's been a quite a while, and I just didn't know if it still happens that you've got somebody that's running a uh, even a uh, a cold wall vacuum furnace and they're running city water through it. And pretty soon, all you've got is just a bunch of sludge and stuff, and you're not a cold wall anymore. You know, you're <laughs> basically heating sludge and. It, Yep. And, and, you know, city water can be, can be especially challenging because, uh, you know, unlike having a, a glycol mixture with say DI water or, or DI water that you, you input into the system initially that, that city water contains, uh, you know, it can be hard. So it has a lot of dissolved solids. It can have, uh, you know, organics that can end up causing issues. If there's a, you know, a certain section of the vessel that doesn't get the right, uh, circulation, you know, and all of a sudden you get a, a settlement of that, of those, those, uh, the sediments in the, in the water. There are lots of different challenges that are brought, brought uh, by the use of city water. And so, heat's an activator as well, right? So mm -hmm. you know, as it's trying to pull that heat off, now that's kind of activating some of the stuff. That's what causes some of the scale buildup or the bacteria. Correct. So making sure the size of the system is adequate is necessary yeah. as well. Do it on uh, on modern day vacuum furnaces? Do they have uh, regular flow monitoring of water? I mean, are you are are they tell are you knowing if water is going through? And can you tell over time? Hey, my flow is slowing down. Or can you see it coming? I guess is my question. Yeah. So on our furnaces, we use digital indicators. Um, some furnaces actually show a flow rate, but the majority of them are just like a dial indicator with LEDs. And so we start with max flow and over time that those LEDs drop out and show that you're losing flow. And then when it drops below the set point, that's when you get an alarm. Get, get an alarm and then you got to do your all your cleaning. Yep. Out. And, those are, and those are on individual circuits. So you can tell pretty much which part of the equipment needs. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Any mm -hmm. uh, any rule of thumb before we move on to the third one? Any rule of thumb on uh, how frequently you think a vacuum furnace should be, you know, descaled or flushed out? Is there even if you're let's say even if you're not experiencing trouble? I mean, is there a hey you should always do this every year or every ten years or whatever? <laughs> you know, typically, Doug, this is a fairly it's not a it's not a two hour process, right? You know, so if you're I would recommend if you if you do a routine shutdown of the furnace for maintenance, be it maybe in the summertime, uh, that's the time to do it, right? Uh, because you know flushing the furnace, removing the coolant, etc., is 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 quite an undertaking. Um, that being said, it also depends on the type of cooling system you have. If it's truly closed loop, uh, and it you know like a lot of the systems we work with today, they actually have a nitrogen blanket, so there's very little oxygen in the system. Um, they typically don't require uh, flushes as frequently, but if it if the water that's going through the uh, the furnace can be exposed to uh, oxygen, uh, then then we should probably think about more frequent uh, flushes because then you're introducing, like I say, the the potential for oxidation and organic material that can can cause issues. Right. Right. Okay. Good. All right. Let's move on to another, and that is another alarm. That's over temperature, getting too hot here. What do we, what do we do? Yeah, so the over temperature is a big issue because that's 
you know, a critical part of your process, especially when it's your control thermocouple. Um, and thermocouples have a life and they can fail in different ways. I think the hope would be that it just, um, the reading drops out and shuts everything down, but sometimes it shorts against the jacket. You know, you have a small break or, you know, it's, it's an erratic reading and that's cause bigger issues because now maybe the furnace is running hotter than you think or colder and you don't really know there's an issue. And eventually it'll kind of breach the max temperature and shut things down. But if everything's looking okay on the screen, you don't really know what's going on. So, you know, watching your trending, make sure the temperature isn't erratic, it's pretty stable. And also measuring against your over temperature controller because we usually use two thermocouples, whether it's a dual element or two individual ones. But you have some redundancy there and you can compare numbers to make sure that they're within a few degrees and reading accurately. Yeah, Don, anything else to add? Yeah, moreover, I was going to say, uh, you know, we recommend at least, you know, not, okay, aerospace requires uh, more frequent uh, temperature uniformity surveys and system accuracy yeah. tests, right, to be uh, NADCAP certified. But, uh, you know, if you're outside that realm, uh, and, and don't have that audited requirement, uh, you know, we recommend at least a, an annual uh, temperature uniformity survey and SAT. And, you know, there's two schools of thought, right? I can, I can replace the thermocouple before, before it fails and just do it and, and say it's a yeah. sunk cost part of doing business. Uh, or I will run it until it breaks and, and you know, deal with the consequences. And, uh, you know, it's it, totally up to you. Some customers do it one way, others, others uh, you know, will, will, will choose the opposite. Uh, they both work. It's just you've got to be, as Caleb mentioned, watching it closely to, to see yeah. what it's doing. You know, as we all know, vacuum furnaces, we can't see what's going on in the furnace. So we really have to rely on our instrumentation. If the instrumentation is lying to you, that, that can cause more, more grief. Yeah. Yeah. And whether you're, whether you're, uh, whether you're uh, replacing those thermocouples in advance, you know, kind of to, to as a precautionary step, or if you're waiting, I would assume has a lot to do with the value of the product that you're running in the, in the furnace. I mean, the higher the value, I assume you're going to say, you know what, if I miss this and mess up the product, better to replace that thermocouple on a. Uh, right. And, and how much are you running the furnace? You know, if it's a 24 seven operation, uh, you know, obviously, you know, if you get to the three month period and you're starting to see issues, maybe you just say from now on, I'm only going to, I'm just going to replace it every three months, you know, uh, or like you say, if, if you're running two, two to three cycles a week, because that's what you needed it, the furnace for, and that satisfies your production. Yeah. You, you might get a year out of it and it's no big deal. Uh, but you're right. You know, if, if, if it, it's a thousand dollar thermocouple, and the load in the furnace is, you know, fifteen thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, you got to really consider that, right? Um, right, right, right. Another thing to check is just visual inspection because you know the control thermocouples are usually just hanging out there in the air. So if you're running larger loads, it's really easy to bump it. Even if you're running a survey, frames full size of the working area. Right. So to make sure that it hasn't gotten bent or even the tip chipped off of it, you know, that's a big indicator as well. And if it does get bumped then maybe you pay extra attention or, you know, replace it as a cautionary measure. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Probably safe to say, don't ignore it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Don't, 
when you get over temperature alarms, yeah, don't don't try and power through it either. So, yeah, that could be fairly catastrophic. You don't want to open the furnace up and have a nice pool of uh, pool of metal. That would not mm -hmm. be so so good. We'll return in just a moment. Are you signed up to go to Pittsburgh this fall? From September 18 to 20th, 2023, Heat Treat Today is hosting the second Heat Treat Boot Camp, a basic training to benefit new hires and old hires who want to learn about how the North American heat treat industry works. We're talking the main players, products, processes, markets, and materials in the North American heat treat market. That is, who are the main equipment and service suppliers? What products are they selling? What are the popular heat treat processes? This is the perfect training to help you walk and talk the industry and will not be overly technical. Also, you'll have many opportunities to network in the welcoming, exciting Pittsburgh downtown venue. Go to heattreetoday.com forward slash bootcamp to register for this training in Pittsburgh. Again, that's www.heattreetoday.com forward slash bootcamp. Now back to the episode. Let's say you're having issues with your with the furnace software. What what's the what are some good techniques here? You want to take that one off that, Don? Yeah. So, you know, software is, as you mentioned, Doug, is, is a quite broad topic. And, and we, the first thing that we typically look at is it is an operational, uh, meaning is it a uh, controller uh, issue or is it a, a display issue, right? So a lot of times we'll, we'll have a, a customer call and say, oh, you know, uh, the, the, the furnace stopped in cycle and it won't finish the cycle and I can't get it to end cycle. Well, it turns out usually when you start investigating, it's not really a software issue. It's, although it may appear to be, it's typically, uh, you know, the software is actually doing its job and there's some underlying mechanical issue that we have to go find. And, and, and you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, we can't see in the vacuum furnace when it's running. So we have to really dig deeply sometimes to figure out what is actually happening. So I would say, you know, I think a lot of times we, we tend to blame the software, but uh, you know that, that isn't always the case. Now, that being said, let's take a step back to the display, as I mentioned. Uh, all right, they're Windows machines quite frequently, and that's a good thing because that means we can network it with the rest of our, you know, our network in, in any facility, uh, and, it, and it, it talks well. However, uh, we all know too that you know Microsoft comes with its own set of of frustrations at times, and, and those obviously aren't exempt from the, the display. Uh, so, you know, whether or not to, to update the, the, the host computer um, is, is a topic that I would, you know, highly recommend you discuss with the manufacturer uh, because updates can sometimes uh, cause headaches uh, because they're, you know, Microsoft is changing things in the background um, that, that aren't. Now, if you have a, maybe another manufacturer's uh, uh, computer, uh, you know, that's not Windows based, then I would say, you know, by all means, talk to that manufacturer to see. But from my experience, most are typically Windows based. And, and you know, the, inter, the interplay between Microsoft and the manufacturer is very important. And the manufacturer of the equipment should be telling you how to handle that process. Also, um, you know, be careful. You know, most furnaces now have a, a LAN or a local area network. Um, so all the all the components are communicating via you know Ethernet or Profinet. Uh, a lot of times customers want to you know 
access to, to extract data from the equipment, um, which is fine. But you know, make sure that you discuss how to do that with the with the uh, the equipment manufacturer so that we don't, you know, uh, interfere with the addressing in that land in that local network because that can that will cause issues immediately. Uh, you know, if, if the equipment isn't communicating within that network to each other. Yeah. Um, but you know, back to the beginning, uh, it was it was it's always well advised to to look at what the the equipment's telling you, uh, what the alarms are, what the software is telling you, and then take a step back and say, okay, what else is going on on the furnace, right? Because again, you know, the the goal is, is at least of the equipment manufacturers, that we're we're designing the software to help diagnose. Is it is it always spot on? No, it's still it's still a machine. It still can have uh, you know irregularities, or it, we we maybe just didn't think of all the scenarios, right? It, 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 we do our best, but you know we don't always catch everything. Uh, so it, it's a matter of of stepping back and looking at the situation. And of course, if you don't, if you can't find it, that's when we or any other manufacturer can step in and say, hey, you know, here's in this scenario, you need to go look at these items. Yeah. Right. 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 Good. Caleb, care to add anything? Yeah, so like Don was touching on software glitches, but the other thing is maybe you're losing data. Um, so it may be a hardware issue with the computer as well. You know, a lot of these industrial PCs are pretty robust and they outlive the Windows operating system. So, you know, to check if it's still supported by Windows or if your hard drive's full because, you know, we collect trend data on our computer. So there are files that will start to fill up the hard drive. And once it's out of space, then the computer doesn't know where to put stuff. And, uh, can start glitching and having issues. Um, so that's a, another thing to check. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. All right, guys. Thanks. So that was the, that was the top four. Now what I want to do now is go into the rapid fire round. All right. I'm going to give you probably four to five additional items and just, you know, we don't want to go into a lot of depth on these, but maybe we need to, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how quickly we can run down through these. So uh, first one is this. When when do I know that it's time to reline and or replace my hot zone? Yeah, so I think the quick answer would be a uniformity survey. Are you still uniform within your working area? Are you within the calibration? Um, or do you have hot spots and cold spots? And then another thing to check would be the energy usage for the hot zone, for the heating elements. You know, are you pulling more power because you're losing more heat? You because know, as the insulation erodes away, then the heat starts escaping that hot zone area. Yeah. Any any validity just to looking at it? I mean, this thing terrible. Erosion is very, I, I'd say you can see the erosion pretty quick. A lot of the seams where the insulation meets each other will start to become a crevice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Good, good. All right. How about, uh, this is fairly typical. We've actually mentioned it here earlier. I'm getting discolored parts. What am I looking for? Yeah, yeah. So discolored parts are uh, are a common uh, complaint, right? You know, hey, I was fine last week. Now all of a sudden, it's you know coming out yeah. looks like looks like a rainbow. Okay. Right. So the typically it depends on the material being uh, being treated, right? But typically, uh, you know, colors such as uh, you know rainbow are. Uh, are uh, oxidation of some sort. So now we're back to that, you know, in the short answer, it's a leak check. You know, uh, what's, have you done a leak test lately? What is the leak up rate? Has it changed? That's the, 
first place to start. Yeah. I have also heard on this, and maybe you guys can comment on this, that if you're running a variety of different parts or different items, materials through your furnace, you got to be careful if there, if the previous load might not have deposited some sort of material on the cold, on a cold spot in the furnace. And then when you heat it back up again, it can react with, you know, the current load. Is there validity okay, so to that one? Yeah, if you're running parts that have coolant or cutting oil or something, then that's stuff that off gases. And then you run a high specialty metal that needs pure air, and maybe it's a higher temperature too. So then all that's off gassing. So normally, if you're running a special load like that, you should look at running a cleaning cycle beforehand to ensure that there's gotcha. nothing going to off gas from previous load. Okay, fair enough. How about now we talked about replacing hot zone? How about door seals? Replacement of door seals. Yeah, so the door seal, um, if it hasn't been greased regularly or, um, you know, it's old, then it'll start to crack and split. So just looking at the condition of the door seal and then the seam, because a lot of times they're glued together at a seam. So if that seam starts splitting apart, that could introduce a leak and it's time to get it replaced. Yeah, yeah. So basically a mechanical inspection, unless you're getting a leak up, unless you're getting a leak up. And then obviously, if you can isolate that the door seal is the issue, then obviously it's got to be replaced, right? Yep. And, and again, this is probably this is probably vacuum furnace 101, if if even that complicated. Every time you're closing it, I assume you're wiping down the seal and the and the and the mate, right? I mean, everything's getting getting clean to make sure. Is that a good practice? Yep. And you don't always have to clean it, clean it, but even just wiping it to make sure that grease didn't catch a lot of dirt in there right. and is still lubricating okay. the seal. Okay. Uh, okay, two more. Okay, two more actually. One is you get, let's say you're getting these strange black spots or black marks on the inside of the furnace, typically around heating elements and or feed throughs, things of that sort. Yep, yep. So back to that, uh, uh, watching the power consumption, right? So uh, some of the more, the, the newer furnaces are equipped with uh, gauges that monitor power, current, etc. You know, if you go back and look at the trends and see a lot of current spikes, that's a that's probably a surefire uh, indication of arcing. And you know, you open the furnace, see black marks. Uh, what's happening is that 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 carbon uh, graphite insulation is being uh, destroyed uh, from a, an electrical arc. And uh, you know, the next thing to look at <clears throat> after that are are the insulators still in place? Um, you know, uh, have they been contaminated uh, with with something that is now preventing them from being a good electrical insulator? And then I guess the other thing that comes up once in a while too is what's the environment like in the furnace? Are you introducing a gas that could be uh, creating a, a short, you know, uh, a path to ground for for the heating or for the electricity that's passing through the heating elements? Those are Got all it. some things to think about. Got it. Got it. Okay. So if you got black marks in the furnace, more than likely you're having an arc party in there when the door's closed. Yeah. And making sure your heating element hardware is tight because they expand with the yeah. heat. So they'll start to loosen up. You want to do periodic inspections to make sure that all the hardware is still tight. So let's say a lot of these furnaces, a lot of vacuum furnaces have uh, high pressure gas quenching, some pretty big fans in there. A number one thing we need to be thinking about when we, when we talk about about uh, high velocity fans and things of that sort. What's a, what, are, what are our concerns there? Yeah, uh, I, 
I think the, there are a couple different things to, to be aware of. Number one, when they're in operation, uh, most of the equipment has a fail safe to keep it from, um, let's say, drawing too much current for too long a time and overheating. So, you know, we're pushing those, those fan motors pretty hard uh, during quench. Uh, so, you know, the wear during that period is very high, uh, you know, and, and over time, of course, things like bearings are going to be a concern. Right. Uh, because, again, they don't always run for that long, but when they are running, they're running at, you know, 100, 110 uh, percent. So yeah. we're, we're, we've got to keep that in mind. Um, next thing is, depending on how they're cooled, uh, that also is a consideration. You know, uh, it depends on the manufacturer. Some are, you know, uh, like a, a still a fan cooled motor inside. So they're still relying on gas cooling. Uh, so they've got to be kept clean so that they, the, the cooling is, is uh, the cooling rate is, is correct. Uh, in our case, we're water cooling them. So, you know, we just have to ma maintain water flow. So we're back to that conversation. But, you know, those I think would be a couple of the, the, the key things um, to think about now. I think Caleb touched on it and, and maybe he can expand is uh, some of the erosion that can happen in the hot zone uh, as a result of, of you know, high yeah. velocity, high pressure quench. Yeah, as it erodes, especially and creates air leaks, then that air kind of forges its path through there and makes it worse and worse. So if you start to see erosion to the point where you think air is getting through, you're going to want to try and remedy that, whether replace the insulation or even a short-term patch until you get a new hot zone. Uh, and okay. another point. Yeah, just real quick, Caleb, don't forget that point, the next point you're going to make, but you're talking about erosion. You're talking about actually where the where the high pressure gas is actually eroding the let's say the graphite or whatever so that now you're exposing the hot the the, the shell of the furnace or the the against the, the roll up for the hot zone yeah the hot yep. zone yeah okay yep. okay yeah go ahead then yeah and then the, another thing you mentioned high pressure well we put a lot of pressure in there it's a high velocity so if you have small parts depending on the direction of the flow yeah. you know yeah. you want to make sure smaller parts are fixed nice because if they blow off your fixturing then they can cause damage within the hot zone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. One other point to that too, is that uh, the heat exchanger, you know, we typically don't think about the heat exchanger, but uh, it's actually doing a lot of the work in that process. And over time, you know, typically they're, they're, they're rather densely packed fins uh, in those heat exchangers to, to achieve the amount of heat transfer that's required for the process and they can get contaminated as well. So periodically, you know, it's not a bad idea that if you are certainly if you're replacing a hot zone to clean that heat exchanger. Clean, clean and or replace. Okay, cool. excellent. Guys, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, we will put up on the screen some contact information in case people want to contact either of these gentlemen. So, but really appreciate your expertise. Thanks very much for being with us and sharing your uh, sharing your expert knowledge and field experience. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Doug. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode with Don Martini and Caleb Johnson. Give Heat Treat Radio a five-star review or a like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or the website www.heattreattoday.com forward slash radio. If you'd like to get in contact with Don or Caleb, go to www.secovacusa.com or you can also just email me and I'll put you in touch. My email is bethany at heatreetoday.com. We're on the hunt for new ideas that are important to you. So if you want to hear a topic on Heat Treat Radio, let me know. 
Also, if you'd like to sponsor a future episode, let me know at bethany at heattreattoday.com. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank Heat Treat Bootcamp for sponsoring this episode. Sign up to network and learn tons at this basic training when you search www.heattreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. And I'm Bethany Leone. Thank you for listening.